Hey, well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio, your host Chris Honholtz and Richard Story. And while you're probably listening to this on actually the 15th of March or later, we're actually recording this on the 14th of March. We're a little early, which is unusual for us if we're if we're early. Um, but we're joining. We're doing this a little bit early because, man, my next two days, my weekend's going to go quick. It's going to go real quick. Um, the next two days, uh, I'm going to be. Uh, very very busy between uh, uh, taking my wife to our first uh, local AAA Aces game of the season, which we like to do every year, and then we celebrate her her fifth <coughs> uh, birthday uh, party. I, yeah, I'm not saying that out loud. Uh, <laughs> where her birthday party is uh, is going to be on Saturday. So poor Rich, you know, I kind of hit him at the last seconds. Like, you think we could do this on Thursday? <laughs> So he's been very, very gracious to, to move this up a day. and uh, But we're going to drop this probably tomorrow so that you guys can uh, at least be some semblance of normalcy <laughs> compared to how we normally do things. But uh, we just wanted to join you. And, of course, Sunday is uh, the one of the most important days in which we remember in the Christian faith. While not commanded by Scripture, it, it is something we commemorate every year, which is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, after he, you know, suffered, died, and was buried, and then on the third day rose again, defeating sin and death. So we want to at least put something out there as we go into, uh, you know, the you know, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, uh, however you want to refer to it. And if you want to get mad at me and and scream at me about how Easter is actually Ishtar and how dare you, uh, I'm just gonna not hear that argument today. Uh, so. <laughs> Anyway, the point being is we wanted to at least share one more thing with you before you uh, we go into that uh, into that uh, wonderful day of remembrance. So uh, we, we're just grateful that you guys are with us, uh, gratefully that you continue to be part of our listening audience. You guys are just amazing. Um, Rich, we've had, I think, it, like two references to people you know, that you and I were talking about in pre-show. And, and we're not going to name drop the shows that we were included in because that's that's not right but just one of those moments where somebody says oh yeah you know my regular listening podcasts are blank 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 voice of reason radio blank and it's like what (laughs) we don't belong in that crowd (laughs) you sure you got that right (laughs) so you guys are amazing um saw one of those today and it just it just astounds me that um that for some reason god has seen fit to take this little podcast and that with this little platform that he's allowed us to have and you guys get to be part of that and 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 you guys continue to show up each and every week and you you comment and you about the programs you you share the programs and uh you, you make us part of your your week and that's just amazing to me and it's it's far more than we deserve and it's something that honestly needs to be a challenge for me to remember because it's easy to reduce things to numbers and rich and I, you know, we're talking about this easy to reduce things to numbers and see the ups and the downs and, and get caught up in that. And you don't, you don't want to do that because that's, you don't want to chase numbers. That's, that's never what this should ever be about. And so, um, if you know, the thing for, for me, especially is to remember that each one of you guys is someone who has taken time out of your day or your week to, to listen to what we have to say and to think about it and digest it and compare it with scripture. And you, I hope you are comparing it with scripture. You better be comparing it with scripture. Um, cause we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And yet you take the time to, to go through these things and, and think about them and, and meditate upon them. 
and try to apply it in your life, which is what we hope you do. You know, our, our stated goals have always been number one, to glorify God, but number two is to edify you guys in some small way. And yet so many of you keep coming back every week. And, and so I just want to thank you for that. And uh, I think it's good for me to remember that and to say that because um, we don't have a program without you guys. And so we're, we're very, very grateful. And just want to remind you each and every week, uh, you know, we are part of the Christian podcast community and that community continues to grow. Um, and in fact, uh, somebody that uh, we talked about on, on this program, and I won't say who because got, he's got to go through the process, is, is looking to apply to Christian podcast community. So it's somebody that I, I think is sound. I think he'll, be, he'll make a good addition to the, uh, to the network. And I, I really pray that, uh, you know, that more people like that continue to come and be part of it um, because we need good, sound, biblical podcasts. There's so much garbage out there. There's so much that tugs at uh, our ears to, hey, listen to this opinion or here, listen to this political commentary. Or, you know, right now, uh, every news agency and podcast out there is talking about the big deal that the, of today of Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter, which that's just pure entertainment to watch that uh, unfold as we go. Um, but <laughs> I'm getting out the popcorn, just watching the meltdown, but, uh, you know, it's, there's so much out there to be distracted by. And yet this little podcast community continues to grow and more and more people join and more and more people, uh, are blessed by the sound biblical teaching that comes out of it and the, and these podcasts. So really just ask you guys to consider listening to that. And, and I've always said this, if, if it means that, Hey, you found a podcast that better suits you and better suits what you want to hear and listen to. Um, and that means you can't, you, you know, you have a certain amount of time of your day, of your week, and, and you got to bump a podcast. If, if you, this, something else fits you better and that's what's, uh, you know, uh, in, in increasing your walk with the Lord and growing in holiness and you find something else on that network, a uh, community that, that, that suits you, then by all means, Hey, you have our permission to, to jump into whatever podcast is going to, you know, lead you in your walk more closely with Christ. So, uh, don't ever feel like you cannot, you know, move on just because you started here, if, the, if for, uh, for an example. So anyway, please check that out. Please continue to be in contact with us, though. We, lo we love hearing from you. Voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. You can always uh, contact us there. You can check out our website at slavetothekeng.com and sign up so that you get the notifications when something new drops. And uh, that's that's really all we wanted to, to kind of do to introduce, uh, introduce this. Uh, and I just want to talk to my brother real quick before we get started. How are you doing, Rich? As always, brother, better than I deserve, especially in light of the empty grave, the resurrected Christ, and the ascended Christ, who will return one day. Amen. Um, and, I, and I feel bad throwing a joke in in the <laughs> middle of that, but you mentioned something earlier about we're not chasing numbers, and I can't help the snarky side of me when you <laughs> said that. My first thought was, yeah, we're not the SBC trying to grow and <laughs> chase numbers. Amen, 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 amen. <laughs> we're seeking to fill hearts and to glorify Christ and to help our brothers and sisters be sanctified in truth. We're not worried about packing the pews with numbers or Amen. packing the podcast with numbers. But with that said, if you're listening to this episode and it's not Easter Sunday yet, because like Chris said, we're recording this on Thursday night, it should hit the podcast stream sometime Friday. But if you are listening to this prior to attending church on Sunday, keep in mind, this is the biannual visit by most proclaimed church members 
and professed Christians when it comes to attending church. You know, they generally attend on Easter and at Christmas, and the rest of the year they're AWO well. <laughs> so with that in mind, as a pastor, as a member of that church, as a truly born-again Christian, make it a point that they hear proclaim the biblical way of salvation. Pastor, proclaim it from the pulpit. Include the entirety of the biblical way of salvation. Define sin. Define salvation. Define how one is truly saved. Use this as an opportunity to reach the hearts of those that only show up twice a year or three times a year or whatever it happens to be. As a church member, give them a tract. Point them to verses in Scripture. Do something to get the biblical way of salvation into their ears or before their eyes. Take advantage of this rare opportunity to spot that elusive professing Christian that only shows up at Easter and at Christmas. Amen. Amen. So please, uh, uh, if you take nothing else away from this episode tonight, please listen and take that to heart. And there's a reason why so many professed Christians are just that, in professing only. They're, they only proclaim to know Christ. They're not truly born again. They're not truly saved. And there's also a reason so many Bible-believing Christians seem to struggle so much with fighting sin and fighting trying to stay on that narrow path. It's one reason, well, one of many reasons, and it's simply because they've never truly counted the cost of following Christ. Amen. You know, we, we've, we've, we've heard that discussed over the years, and I think we may have done one or two episodes on it. But we hope tonight in this recording to bring you a couple of different perspectives maybe that you've never really considered when it comes to counting the cost of following Christ. Not even just your individual cost of following Christ, but as a church, as a pastor, as a member of a church, what are your responsibilities in helping others count the cost of following Christ? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just a matter of, I'm saved and that's it. It's a matter of, okay, I'm now part of a family. What responsibility do these other family members have to me? And what responsibility do I have to this new family that I have now become a part of? Mm-hmm. Um, before I get to the next portion, brother, would you like to add anything to that? I, I, I think that what you said was absolutely perfectly put. We so often don't talk about it. And let me just say not nearly enough. Let me, that's a better way to say it. Counting the cost is just something we don't talk about enough. Um, I think it was um, Stephen Lawson who said, it will cost you everything. When we, you know, in, in this day and age, when you do the SBC, we want more numbers uh, or, you know, whether it's the SBC or, you know, standard American evangelicalism, mega church nonsense. What, what do we see? Oh, come to Jesus. He'll make your life better. He'll give you a better life. He'll, he'll, uh, you know, he'll take you as you are. We're not legalistic. Which you're not. We're not your grandpa's church. Blah blah blah. It's it's sold as this simple change of address, sort of. You you were once in the world. Now you're in the church, and it's just a simple change of address. But Christ Himself commanded us count the cost. He says nobody, you know, basically nobody would build a tower. And unless they, you know, knew how much they had 
and if it would be enough to finish it. And a, and a king would not go to war if he could not determine if he had enough troops to win the battle. And if he doesn't, he'll sue for peace. When Christ makes those comparisons for us, he's telling us, you, you have to be able to count what it's going to cost you to follow him. It means you're losing something. A cost means you're giving up something. Now, it's a, it's a, a giving up, a surrender, a loss of something that is in turn gains you something far better. But it's not a simple, oh, well, I just say I believe and it didn't cost me anything. It costs you everything. He is the pearl of great price that we sell all that we have to gain him. It is, he is the treasure in the field that a man sells everything he has to gain that treasure. This idea that we, we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about what it costs to follow Christ, and we need to do it much more often. And I'm thankful for my brother who went and, and dug these passages up that we're going to go through because I think, as you said, Rich, it's going to open our eyes a little bit and remind us what that cost actually is. So I'm grateful that you brought up this topic for this week and, this, and the work you did finding this stuff. Well, I just pray that the Lord uses it for his glory and that the brethren are edified and encouraged by what we're going to share tonight. Um, a good portion of it is pulled from some sermons by Charles Spurgeon and some writings by J.C. Ryle. Um, so with that being said, and we, we, we will provide links in the show notes if you want to go and read these in their entirety because, of course, we don't have time to you know, sit here and just read through four or five sermons and an entire chapter of a book. So <laughs> we hope to, that this, this will help you in some way. But this is, a, this is from a portion of a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, and, and he's relaying a story. I think I see in the early days of Christianity a good old saint at one of the meetings down in the catacombs talking with a young man who says to him, I wish to be a follower of Christ. The old saint says, I rejoice, brother, to give you the right hand. But do you know what it means to be a follower of Christ? Well, he says, I think I do. Come with me, says he, and we will take a walk to the Colosseum. And in the dead of night, while the moon is shining upon the vast amphitheater, the old man says to him, Do you see there tens of thousands of seats? Yes. Well, if you do become a follower of Christ, it is very likely that every one of those seats will be filled with a cruel spectator who will gaze upon you one of these days. But, Father, what would happen to me then? Come with me, says he, across this great arena. Do you see those bones? They're the bones of some of the soldiers belonging to the army that you wish to join. Now step across to this low arch. Can you hear those growls? Yes, Father. What animals are those? Lions, tigers, and other savage beasts from Africa and Gaul. Why are they there, Father? To tear the Christian limb from limb when they shall be placed in the middle of that amphitheater. If you are with them, there will be tens of thousands looking down upon you, eager for your death, and not one of them will pity you. Are you prepared to follow Christ here? I think I can hear the young Christian hero 
when he thoroughly appreciates the risk, saying, It would be hard for flesh and blood to die like that, yet, by the grace of God, I will never bow before an idol. My hope is fixed on Jesus Christ, who bled and died for me. Father, put my name down. Introduce me to the pastor of the church, and let me be immersed into Christ, for I, for his I am. And if I am called to die here by his Spirit's help, I will not draw back. I will face the lions and die the martyr's death, that I may wear the martyr's crown. Spurgeon went on after this to address his congregation. You young men and young women who have lately been converted here are not called to such a death as that. Will you shrink from the little trials and petty persecutions of the present time? Or are you afraid of someone who will point the figure of scorn at you and say, there goes a Christian? Then, what poor stuff you must be made of, and how little of the Spirit of God can be in you. You have grave, you have grave need to question whether you've been born again, for if you are indeed the Lord's own, if he has bought you with his blood, you will come forward and say, his I am, and I am not ashamed to own it. Nay, but I even glory in it. And that was from a sermon preached by Charles Spurgeon, and it was Spurgeon number. It was sermon number three thousand and ninety-four. Brother, is that just not a beautiful way to paint the picture of what it would must have been like to be a Christian in those early Roman days? And when you stop to think about what that cost meant. And there are those today that face a similar cost in, in, in foreign nations around the world. Imprisonment, torture, and even death faces people who profess faith in Christ. And I love the picture that he paints because you listen and see what these early Christians faced in in some of the most intense persecution of their day. But then he stops and he says, you, dear Christian, now aren't appointed for this. And then looks at them and says, but would you complain about the, the meager discomforts and persecutions we face now? Early Christians were willing to lay down their life. Early Christians knew that to profess faith in Jesus Christ and to speak it in the public square, could mean your death, imprisonment, and, uh, you know, and, and or excuse me, your imprisonment and death in the arena. So why is it today in our current cultural milieu that we are spending so much time trying to convince the Christian church that we need to temper the message, temper how we present the gospel, bring in so many foreign ideologies to the gospel and attach it so that it makes people who feel maybe they're oppressed or maybe their, their life has been harder than they feel it should be, let's, let's temper the message and change it. I, it. It's such a foreign message to the gospel because Christ himself called upon his followers to, you know, to take up their cross, an instrument of torture and death, and follow him, meaning that we they could face a death like his. And so the, the cost of the early Christians was to count the cost of possibly even murder and torment and torture. And yet today, 
as in Spurgeon's time, we have so many Christians who think we must be doing something wrong. I mean, the, the world should love us. We should, we should be loved by the world. They should know us by our love for them. And we should never face any discomfort, any uh, displeasure. We should never be afraid of losing our place. Or we, should, we should never have to worry about losing our place or influence in the world. His message to his, uh, his congregation is a stark slap in the face to most Christian, so-called Christian uh, ideas and ideologies today. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And the, the sad thing is, among American evangelicalism, among most professing Christian churches in the United States today, They've traded the glory of God for their God of entertainment. Mm -hmm. They desire to be entertained more than they desire to grow in holiness. I mean, the, we're talking early century Christians who had to be willing, willingly know that to profess Christ meant that they could possibly die. And now in today's age, we have professing Christians that's not willing to give up entertainment for Christ, much less their life. Yeah. And that's why so much of the world has come into the church, because the church is trying to out-entertain the world mm -hmm. when it comes to appealing to the flesh and appealing to the minds and emotions of those sitting in the pews. And I'm sorry, but the church will never be able to compete with Disney when it comes to entertainment. Amen. That's not what the church is there for. The church is not there to entertain you. It's not there to keep you amused for an hour once a week. The church is there to help you, strengthen you, and help you grow into holiness. And this leads to the next portion that Chris will cover. What, 100, 150 years ago, when Charles Spurgeon was preaching at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in England, you know, one there, there are, of course, tremendous differences between now and then. But even then, Spurgeon was preaching against the vials and the worldly entertainment of his day, and it's even worse in today's world. And even then, you know, churches wanted to increase and wanted to grow members and wanted to see more people join the church and come into the church, just like they do today. But Spurgeon did something in his day that you would almost be flabbergasted to hear a church say to new members or new prospective members in this day and age. And I'll hand it back over to you, brother. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, this is a, a from Spurgeon during an admission of new members. And he, he this passage uh, from this sermon, he, he's essentially saying, you know, what are the responsibilities uh, that the additions to the church, these members coming into the church, what responsibilities does it bring to us? And Spurgeon says, do not come in among us unless you are saved. Judge yourself with honesty. Examine yourselves with care. And although you have gone as far as you have, yet tonight before I give you the right hand of fellowship, if you are conscious that you are not what you profess to be, I do beseech you stand back. If you are the weakest of the weak, the feeblest of the feeble, yet if you are uh, sincere, Come and welcome. But if you are not sincere, do not add to your sin by taking upon you a profession which you cannot keep up, and declaring and declare excuse me, and by declaring a lie before the Lord. For if you do, remember that you will 
not have lied unto man, but unto God himself, in daring to declare yourselves Christians while you are unbelievers. Come and welcome if you are believers. And when you come, remember that this responsibility which you undertake in God's strength is that you live to prove that you really have given yourself up to the church, that you mean to serve Christ with all your heart, that you will seek to promote the holiness and unity of the church which you join, and strive and, and will strive to do nothing to dishonor her good name or grieve the Spirit of God. In joining the church, pray to be continue pray to be continued steadfast in doctrine and fellowship pray for more divine grace that you may be filled with the spirit of god do not come in to weaken us we are weak enough already do not come in to adulterate our our purity we have enough impurity even now pray to pray that god may make you a, make you a real increase to our prayerfulness, to our holiness, to our earnestness, to our higher life, and then come and welcome and the Lord be with you. And then he says to the church, uh, to those who are receiving them, and for those who shall receive the converts, what is converts? What is our responsibility? First, to welcome them heartily. Let us open wide the door of our hearts and say, come and welcome for Jesus Christ's sake. After welcoming them, we must watch over them. And when so many are added, double care is needed. Of course, no two pastors can possibly watch over this vast assembly of 4,500 professed believers. Let all the watching be done by all the members, by the officers of the church first, and then by every individual. I am very thankful that out of our cheering number to be brought in tonight, the larger portion belong to the families of the church. My brothers and sisters already in Christ, it is fortunate for these young people that you ha that they have you to watch over them. Never let it be said that any parent discourages his child, that any guardian discourages the young after they have come forward and acknowledged their faith. If you notice faults, remember you have faults yourselves. Do not tauntingly throw their failing in their teeth as some have unkindly done. Guide them and cheer them on. Help their weaknesses, bear with their ignorance, impetuous, impetuosity, and correct their mistakes. I charge you, my beloved sisters, be nursing mothers in the church, and you, my brothers, be fathers to these young people that they may be enabled by your help through God's Spirit to hold on, to their, hold on their way. It is an evil thing to receive members and never care for them afterwards. Among so many, some must escape our supervision. But if all the members of the church were watchful, this would not be. Each would have some someone to care for him. Each would have some have excuse me, each one would have a friend to whom to tell his troubles and his cares. Watch over the church then, I pray you. And you elders, myself chiefly among you, let our examples be such as they can safely follow. And this is from uh, Spurgeon's sermon number uh, 1167. Brother, can you imagine any church of the seeker-friendly type of movement trying to, to say what he said at the beginning? Do not come in unless you are saved. And if you're not, stand back. That doesn't sound very seeker-friendly, does it? <laughs> no, because in today's age, they'd be screaming, how dare you, you're being judgmental, how dare you judge me? But I love what Spurgeon said. 
you're lying to God if you come in among us claiming to be a Christian and you're not. Let that sink in. You're lying to God claiming to be a Christian when you're not. Yeah. You're lying to God. Not only are you are you deceived in your belief or deceived in your unbelief or deceived into thinking that you actually are a Christian, but even worse than that, you are lying to God when you come into the church professing to be a Christian and living like the world. When you profess to be a Christian and you make a practice of sin, when you profess to be a Christian and you think that the blood of Christ allows you to continue in the sin that you love, you are lying to God. You're lying to Christ. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. And double condemnation will come upon you. But going even into that further, I love what Spurgeon said at the end of this, because I've never heard a church make mm-hmm. this commitment and make this stand that we are responsible for those that we mm-hmm. bring in. Leaders of the church, my, myself chiefly among you as being the lead pastor, we are responsible for the example that is set before these new believers. We are the example for these new members of the church, pastor, members of local churches. Can you honestly say that you are the example in Christ that they should be following? Are you projecting holiness and Christ-likeness to the point to where you will help them grow in holiness and grow in sanctification? Think about that as you go to church this Sunday and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and Savior. These are some hard things to consider, but they are hard things that need to be considered, brother. Amen. You know, it's the two-part responsibilities. The first, to come to Christ. He says, when you come in here, you have a responsibility. And one of those responsibilities is not to just, is to not basically be a pew warmer. You're not there to just sit there and take up space. You're not there to dra- be a drag and a burden upon the church, so to speak. I mean, it's not to say that you know those that are needing care or help are, are a burden. But rather, you just come in there, you take up space, and you expect the church to do for you, and you do nothing in, in, in return. And he challenges it even one step further to say, Strive to do nothing to dishonor her good name or grieve the Spirit of God. So you come in as a participating member to be serving the church. And not serving so you feel like you're recognized, because that's what this, you know, so much of the seeker-friendly church says. You know, get them saved, get them baptized, get them serving right away so they feel included. That's not what he's saying. He says you're coming in to be a servant. It's not for recognition. You're coming to serve and be part of the church and to, to help her and strengthen her, you're there to also to not dishonor her name. So as you walk as a Christian, you are to be cognizant not only of the fact that you, if you sin, you sin against God, but you also tarnish the name and the reputation of the church and you grieve the spirit in the process. But what does he challenge them to do? To grow in doctrine and in fellowship, to grow for more divine grace 
Don't come in and weaken the church, but strengthen the church. Don't come in and be impure. The church has got enough impurity. Don't add to it, make it worse, but strive for holiness and and be you know and to be earnest and to be and to uh, to walk with the Lord and then welcome. We welcome you. This you come in, you're part of this now and we want you to be here, but you have a duty. You have responsibilities as you come in. This this is anathema to the seeker-friendly model. You, this is asking way too much of people. But yet when we come in, we're coming in as soldiers in the Lord's army to do spiritual warfare. And so he says, don't come in lightly. Come in prepared for to, to do battle. But like, like you said, that this second part, this is totally anathema. I mean, if, if telling the... The, the Christian to come in prepared to be responsible to serve the church and not tarnish its name and not tarnish the name of Christ is hard enough. But then to turn and look at the church and say, by the way, you yourselves have a responsibility to help build them up, to strengthen them, to guide them, to correct them. He says, as pastors, we can't see it all. There's 4,500 of us here. We're not going to catch everything. You have a responsibility to act like a Christian and care for those among you. That's absolutely, totally verboten in the in, in the modern church parlance. People come in and it's like, you pastor, we hired you. You're here to entertain us. You don't expect us to do anything. If we want to be part of some ministry, you make sure to include us so we feel included. But don't you dare expect me to actually be a Christian and hold other Christians accountable. Wow. And, and, and he says it in such a way, I think it's so interesting. Do not tauntingly throw their failings in their teeth as some have unkindly done. Wow, that's something we should learn for Christian social media. <laughs> and I, and I'll, I'll confess, I'm sometimes guilty of that. Uh, but mostly because I'm dealing with trolls. Um, but I should be a little bit better about that. And I, I ask the Lord's forgiveness. Um, I got to think about doing that better. But he's, he's saying... You come alongside them, you guide them, and then what else? Cheer them on. You, you and I are going to see our brethren struggling. Now, we're going to correct them. We're going to point out where their, their, their sin or their failing is. But then we're going to guide them to Christ, and we're going to say, Go! Keep pushing forward. Run the race. Don't turn back. Run the race as if to win. Cheer them on. That, brother, what a wholehearted and fully rounded presentation that the responsibilities are not just for the Christian coming in, but for the whole church to be involved. And all of us are not only responsible for helping one another, but also doing so in such a way that's honoring to God and yet does not let the, the, the failing go unnoticed. You're right. You don't hear this in most churches today. You don't see or see or hear anything of this kind of preaching of the responsibility and the cost it means to follow Christ, especially for the church as a body. Now, I, I think that is something that should be incorporated into far more discipleship classes, I got to say. Well, absolutely. And maybe somewhere down the road, we need to do an entire episode just around those two aspects mm -hmm. of the responsibilities of the member and the church members when it, as it pertains to what you just shared. But as we're moving forward here, 
I want to take a moment and let's look at what does it actually cost to be a true Christian. And after that, we're going to go into why is it important to actually count the cost of being a, a Christian or professing to be a Christian. And I apologize, my note just jumped up the screen here. Okay. Now, as we look at what does it cost to be a true Christian, we start in Luke fourteen twenty-eight, and you shared this at the beginning of the, of the show. Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not, down, does not sit down first and count the cost? And that's a verse I'm sure most of us are familiar with, but have we ever truly dove into the meaning of it? Mm-hmm. And what I'm about to share is from the book Holiness by J.C. Ryle, and the chapter is The Cost, where J.C. Ryle was writing and discussing what it costs to be a Christian. And he writes, what does it cost to be a really holy man? This, after all, is the grand question. For one of thought about this, thousands, after seeming to begin well, turn away from the road to heaven and are lost forever in hell. We are living in strange times. Events are hurrying on with singular rapidity. Now, I'm pause for a moment. That could be applied to today. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, as we read through this, this was written about 150 years ago, but how much of it actually applies to today is mind-boggling. He goes on, How much less do we know what may happen in a year? We live in a day of great religious profession. Scores of professing Christians in every part of the land are expressing a desire for more holiness and a higher degree of spiritual life. Pauls, I I don't think we actually see that part Mm -hmm. when it comes to holiness and a higher degree of spiritual life, but he goes on. Yet nothing is more common than to see people receiving the word with joy and then after two or three years falling away and going back to their sins. They had not considered what it caused to be a really consistent believer and holy Christian. Surely these are times when we ought often to sit down and count the cost and to consider the state of our souls. We must mind what we are about. If we desire to be truly holy, it is a good sign. We may thank God for putting the desire into our hearts, but still the cost ought to be counted. No doubt Christ's way of eternal life is a way of pleasantness, but it is folly to shut our eyes to the fact that his way is narrow and the cross comes before the crown. He goes on, Let there be no mistake about my meaning. I'm not examining what it costs to save a Christian soul. I know well that it costs nothing less than the blood of the Son of God to provide an atonement and to redeem man from hell. The price paid for our redemption was nothing less than the death of Jesus Christ on Calvary. We are bought with a price. Christ gave himself a ransom for all. 1 Corinthians 6.20, 1 Timothy 2.6. What a man must be ready to give up if he wishes to be saved. It is the amount of sacrifice a man must submit to if he intends to serve Christ. It is in this sense that I raise the question, what does it cost? And I believe firmly that it is a most important one. I grant freely that it costs little to be a mere outward Christian. A man only... A man has only got to attend a place of worship twice on Sunday and to be tolerably moral during the week, and he has gone as far as thousands around him ever go in religion. 
All this is cheap and easy work. It entails no self-denial or self-sacrifice. If this is saving Christianity and will take us to heaven when we die, we must alter the description of the way of life and write, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to heaven. But it does cost something to be a real Christian according to the standard of the Bible. There are enemies to be overcome, battles to be fought, sacrifices to be made, an Egypt to be forsaken, a wilderness to be passed through, a cross to be carried, a race to be run. Conversion is not putting a man in an armchair and taking him easily to heaven. It is the beginning of a mighty conflict in which it costs much to win the victory. Hence arises the unspeakable importance of counting the cost. Let me try to show precisely and particularly what it costs to be a true Christian. Let us suppose that a man is disposed to take service with Christ and feels drawn and inclined to follow him. Let us suppose that some affliction or some sudden death or an awakening sermon has stirred his conscience and made him feel the value of his soul and desire to be a true Christian. No doubt there is everything to encourage him. His sins may be freely forgiven, however many and great. His heart may be completely changed, however cold and hard. Christ and the Holy Spirit, mercy and grace are all ready for him, but still he should count the cost. True Christianity will cost one his self-righteousness. He must cast away all pride and high thoughts and conceit of his own goodness. He must be content to go to heaven as a poor sinner, saved only by free grace and owing all to the merit and righteousness of another. True Christianity will cost a man his sins. He must be willing to give up every habit and practice which is wrong in God's sight. I'm going to repeat that. He must be willing to give up every habit and practice which is wrong in God's sight. He must set his face against it, quarrel with it, break off from it, fight with it, crucify it, and labor to keep it under whatever the world around him may say or think. He must do this honestly and fairly. There must be no separate truce with any special sin which he loves. He must count all sins as his deadly enemies and hate every false way, whether little or great, whether open or secret. All his sins must be thoroughly renounced. They may struggle hard with him every day and sometimes almost get the mastery over him, but he must never give way to them. He must keep up, <clears throat> excuse me, he must keep up a perpetual war with his sins. It is written, cast away from you all your transgressions, break off your sins and iniquities, cease to do evil. Ezekiel 18.31, Daniel 4.27, and Isaiah 1.16. Christianity will cost a man his love of ease. He must take pains and trouble if he means to run a successful race toward heaven. He must daily watch and stand on his guard like a soldier on enemy's ground. He must take heed to his behavior every hour of the day, in every company and in every place, in public as well as in private, among strangers as well as at home. He must be careful over his time, his tongue, his temper, his thoughts, his imagination, his motives, his conduct in every relation of life. He must be diligent about his prayers, his Bible reading, and his use of Sundays with all their means of grace. In attending to these things, he may come 
far short of perfection, but there is none of those who can safely neglect the soul of the sluggard desires the soul of the slugger desires and has nothing but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat proverbs thirteen four lastly, true Christianity will cost a man the favor of the world. He must be content to be thought ill of by man if he pleases God. He must count it no strange thing to be mocked, ridiculed, slandered, persecuted, and even hated. He must not be surprised to find his opinions and practices in religion despised and held up to scorn. He must submit to be thought by man a, many a fool, an enthusiastic and a fanatic, to have his words perverted and his actions misrepresented. In fact, he must not marvel if some call him mad. The master says, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. John fifteen twenty. I dare say this also sounds hard. We naturally dislike unjust dealing and false charges and think it very hard to be accused without cause. We should not be flesh and blood if we did not wish to have the good opinion of our neighbors. It is always unpleasant to be spoken against and forsaken and lied about and to stand alone. But there is no help for it. The cup which our master drank must be drunk by his disciples. Brother, was that just not amazing? Well, I mean, think about what he's saying. You cannot be prideful. You cannot seek to promote yourself. You have to be willing to forsake sin and turn from it. You actually have to call it sin. You have to recognize what it is and, and turn away from it. You have to be at war with it. You have to be willing to have a life of discomfort and dis-ease. You, know, you have to uh, be concerned about your behavior, about your thought life. You have to, you know, like, a, like a, an athlete who has to put his body through painful exercises to be stronger to win the race, you have to, as a, as a Christian, be diligent to temper your heart, mind, and soul to be conformed to Christ. You, you can't just sit and be a, you know, a, you know, a, a vegetable in hopes of, well, I've got my fire insurance, I don't have to do more. And then you have to go through all of that and still be hated by the world. You know, this is a cost. This is, this is losing everything that we are before we come to Christ. It's everything that the world values. It says, cast it all away. Give up your pride. Give up your sin. Give up the comfort of this world and you know, diligently you know, exercise those spiritual, uh, you know, those, you know, those spiritual acts and temperaments and um, you know, those practices that conform you to Christ. And then, in all of that, be willing to be hated even more still, because as you grow in Christ, the world will hate you all the more. This is not how you... This is not a church growth method. This is, this is not going to have the world beating its, uh, a path to your door. But how is it we can say that? How can we say this is a cost worth counting because you acquire so much more? You are willing to give up all of this because all of this leads to what? 
death. All of this, all it leads us to is the fruit of sin, which is death. Giving it all up for the sake of Christ is life. This is, this is the man who gives up everything, sells all that he has to buy the field that has the, 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 a treasure, or the man who sells all to buy a pearl of great price. It is giving up what is worthless by comparison to what is to be gained. That is an amazing uh, act that only can be done because we are you know, indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit and changed and made to desire these things, but it is still our work. It is still our calling and command of God to do. Count the cost and give up all that is worthless so that you may gain Christ and have eternal life. Brother, that's amazing. But it, it is precisely what we need to hear. You know, Ryle absolutely nails this. And it's, it's a message that is as timely now as it was that, that, that when he wrote it. And will be timely 100, 200, 300 years from now. Because every Christian has to face this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is beautiful. But you have to understand what it is you're giving all this up for. And it is for the it is for the great pearl that is Christ. Amen, brother. Um, and as we go forward, I'd like for you to share the final section of this. Why is it important to count the cost of following Christ? Absolutely. And, and again, this again comes from J.C. Ryle himself. And I just scrolled right past what I'm trying to read. There it is. Um, this also again comes from J.C. Ryle. Uh, the importance of counting the cost. I might settle this question by laying down the principle that no duty enjoined by Christ can ever be neglected without damage. They, they discover that habits of pride and sinfulness indulgence, sinful indulgence and love of ease and worldliness are not so easily laid aside as they had dreamed. And so, after a faint struggle, they give up in despair and leave the world hopeless, graceless, and unfit to meet God. They had flattered themselves all their days that all their days that religion would be easy, easy work when they took when they once took it upon uh, took it up seriously. I'm suddenly struggling to read. Sorry, guys. But they open their eyes too late and discover for the first time that they are ruined because they never counted the cost. There is a but there is a certain group of people to whom especially I wish to address myself in handling this subject part of my subject. It is a large class, an increasing class, and a class in which these days is in particular danger. Let me explain in a few plain words, try to describe this class. It deserves our best attention. The people I speak of are not thoughtless about religion. They think a good deal about it. They are not ignorant of religion. They know the outlines of it pretty well. But their great defect is that they are not rooted and grounded in their faith. Too often they have picked up their knowledge secondhand from being in religious families or from being trained in religious ways, but they have never worked it out by their own inward experience. Too often they have hastily taken up profession of religion under the pressure of circumstances, from sentimental feelings, from animal excitement, or from a vague desire to do like others around them but without any solid work of grace in their hearts. 
People like these are in a position of immense danger. They are precisely those, if Bible examples are worth anything, who need to be exhorted to count the cost. For want of counting the cost, myriads of children of Israel perished miserably in the wilderness between Egypt and Canaan. They left Egypt full of zeal and fervor, as if nothing could stop them. But when they found dangers and difficulties in the way, their courage soon cooled down. For want of counting the cost, the hearers of powerful evangelical preachers often come to miserable ends. They are stirred and excited into professing what they have, uh, what they have not really experienced. They have received the word with a joy so extravagant that it almost startles old Christians. They run for a time with such zeal and fervor that they seem likely to outstrip all others. They talk and work for spiritual objects with such enthusiasm that they make older believers feel ashamed. But when the novelty and freshness of their feeling is gone, a a change comes over them. They prove to have been nothing more than stony ground hearers. The description of the great master, the description the great master gives them in the parable of the sower is exactly exemplified. Temptation or persecution arises because of the word, and they are offended. Matthew thirteen twenty one. Little by little, their zeal melts away, and their love becomes cold. By and by, their seats are empty in the assembly of God's people, and they are heard of no more among Christians. And why? They had never counted the cost. For want, excuse me, for want of counting the cost, the children of religious parents often turn out ill and bring disgrace on Christianity. Familiar from their earliest, earliest years with the form and theory of the gospel, taught even from infancy to repeat great leading texts, accustomed every week to be instructed in the gospel or to instruct others in Sunday schools, they often grow up professing a religion without knowing why or without ever having thought seriously about it. And when the realities of grown-up life pr- begin to press up upon them, they often astound everyone by dropping all their religion and plunging right into the world. And why? They had never thought, they had never thoroughly understood the sacrifices which Christianity entails. They had never been taught to count the cost. I have no wish to discourage anyone or keep anyone back from Christ's service. It is my heart's desire to encourage everyone to go forward. Take up the cross. Let us count the cost by all means. Count it carefully. But let us remember that if we count rightly, and look on all sides, there is nothing that need make us afraid. Let me mention some things which we should enter into our calculations in counting the cost of true Christianity. Set down honestly and fairly what you will have to give up and go through if you become Christ's disciple. Leave nothing out. Put it all down. Count up and compare the profit and loss if you are a true-hearted holy Christian. You may possibly lose something in this world, but you will gain the salvation of your immortal soul. It is written, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? Mark 8.36 Count up and compare the pleasures of sin and the happiness of God's service. If you are a true-hearted and holy Christian, the pleasure of, the, of that Excuse me, the pleasures that the worldly man gets by his ways are hollow, unreal, and unsatisfying. They are like a fire of thorns, flashing and crackling for a few minutes, then quenched forever. The happiness that Christ gives to his people is something solid, lasting, and substantial. It is not dependent on health or circumstances. It never leaves a man even in death. It ends in a crown of glory that fades not away. 
It is written, The joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. As the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of, of the fool. Job 25 and Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 7, 6. But it is also written, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives I give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14, 27. Count up and compare the trouble that true Christianity entails and the troubles that are in store for the wicked beyond the grave. Grant for a moment that the that Bible reading and praying and repenting and believing and holy liver living requires pain and self-denial. It is nothing compared to the wrath to come which is stored up for the impenitent and unbelieving. A single day in hell will be worse than a whole life spent carrying the cross. The worm that never dies and fire that is not quenched are things which it passes man's power to conceive or, or conceive fully or describe. It is written, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Luke 16.25 Count up and compare the number of those who turn from sin and the world and serve Christ, and the number of those who forsake Christ and return to the world. On one side you will find thousands, on the other you will find none. Multitudes are every year turning out of the broad way and entering the narrow. None who will really enter the narrow way grow tired of it and return to the broad. Now let us make the serious inquiry. What does the Christianity cost? What does Christ your Christianity cost you? Very likely, it costs you nothing. Very probably, it co neither costs you uh, your you trouble, nor time, nor thought, nor care, nor pains, nor reading, nor praying, nor self denial, nor conflict, nor working, nor labor of any kind. Now mark what I say: such a religion as this will never save your soul. It will never give you peace while you live, nor hope while you die. It will not support you in the day of affliction, nor cheer you in the hour of death. A religion which costs nothing is worth nothing. Awake before it is too late. Awake and repent. Awake and be converted. Awake and believe. Awake and pray. Rest not until you can give satisfactory answer to my question, what does it cost? Man, what a powerful, powerful uh, um, statement on why it's important to count that cost. Because if we don't count the cost, if we think that it's, as he, as he said, it's just something that doesn't really cost us anything, we don't have to really worry about it, you know, we we'll have to deal with self-denial, then what you are is someone who is professing a faith that just doesn't exist. You're not rooted and grounded in the faith. You don't have anything that will support you in day of trouble or trial or tribulation. You'll abandon it. You'll run. I mean, you you can be one of the most uh, vociferous and boisterous religious people you know, and yet there's going to come a day when you you're going to give you you would face giving it all up because what is it giving you? What has it gained you? Man, nobody likes me anymore because I'm, I'm I'm too Christian, or I can't get the jobs that I like because you know I have to, I can't you know do this thing or that thing I can't compromise here I can't lie there, uh, you know it's 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 counting me my friends or costing me my friends is costing me popularity or reputation man I I can't keep this up 
I, I, you know, th this just isn't giving me anything. I thought maybe I'd get a buzz out of it, but man, you know, it's just, it's, it's not giving me anything. And that's a person who has not counted, who has not thought what it means to, you know, stand you know, before God and, and stand out for him. And, and I think as he sits there and does that, that comparison, you know, this, the idea of the person who is persecuted and fi finds trouble and trial in this life, yet compared to the person who will one day for eternity face the fires of hell. What, if, what, what, are, we, what are we losing? The, the comforts of this world? The, the, the people who, you know, that want to curse us and not like us and speak ill of us, we're losing that? We, we, we're, we're losing the, 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 the love and care of the world from people who them, they themselves will one day stand before Christ and be cast into the fires of hell because they hated him? Brother, he's absolutely right. This is too important a question. It's too important not to consider. Because as he describes quite clearly, in this passage uh, from his book, uh, you know, uh, this from this book, Holiness. Excuse me, I'm talking over myself a little bit. As he as he describes this, he's describing people that will profess a faith, but they don't possess it, and they don't want to face the actual cost. They don't want to lose something in this world, and yet that very loss of the world which gives us eternity, their unwillingness to lose that will cost them dearly for eternity in hell. That is too Ab important a question. Absolutely, brother. And we just shared a portion of the chapter. And for our listeners that are interested in the show notes, there are two links. One where you can read the entire book for free online. And I would encourage everyone, if you're not going to read the entire book, at least read this chapter on the cost and there's also another link that you can re request a free paperback copy of the book holiness by jc rail jc rail um and it's through chapel library and with that you will have to sign up and if anyone has any questions they can email us but there's they do offer they have a price out beside their items but they will provide you with for free $20 worth of materials each month. And they have literally hundreds upon hundreds of different tracks from different pastors over the decades and different writings and different books. But I would encourage everyone, whether you read it online or get a free paperback copy to read not only this chapter, but this entire book. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close that out and then I'll let you have the last word. But I'd like to remind everyone that's listened to this episode, it's not enough to claim to follow Christ or even claim to know Christ. You have to be known by the Christ of the Bible. You may profess Christ. You may have created a Christ in your mind, but you really, really need to sit down and count the cost and examine your beliefs according to the word of Scripture, according to what the Bible actually says and make sure you're following and believing in the Christ of the Bible. The Christ of the Bible will never be okay with any sin that you love. I don't care what sin it is. 
if there's a sin that you love and you think Christ is okay with that sin, that it's okay to be a Christian and claim to be in that sin, you are wrong. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of the Lord for it. Mm-hmm. And you need to re- remember this, and this is the greatest warning in all of Scripture for professing Christians, because it is written, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In First John, John describes and defines what lawlessness is. It is those who practice sin. The practice of sin is the lawlessness that Christ is talking about. And Jesus stated, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's from John fourteen six, And in Matthew seven thirteen through 16, Christ said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Christ didn't say, oh, please accept me and follow me. He's not asking you to accept him. You need to be accepted by him. He is the prince of life and the creator of life. He commands with all authority from heaven Repent and believe unto me. Repent and be converted. And by faith, through faith, plead unto him to grant you the gift of salvation. Whatever you do this week, make it a point at least once a day to proclaim the biblical way of salvation. And if you're not truly saved, if you are questioning your salvation, if you think you may have never been saved at all, go to Christ in prayer and beg him to open your heart and grant you the truth of his everlasting life. Amen. Amen. Brother, that's fantastic. Folks, I can't say anything better than what my brother just said. As we are going into Easter, and as my brother Rich said, pastors, please don't use this as an opportunity to do some watered-down gospel light message that might get a few hands raised in the air. Rather, preach the whole gospel and preach that this costs, that this is a, that following Christ costs. We do a disservice to the body of Christ when we don't call upon them to count the cost. When we want to just Give a message that might just coax people in the right direction. And, and, and I'm not just kind of making that up. That's an attitude. Well, if we can just nudge them the right way, if we can give them just enough to the, you know, we can worry about the theology later. Look, I, I'm not saying that you have to give a five course dinner of a systematic theology to preach the gospel. But 
when you preach the gospel, when Christ himself says count the cost, that should be something that we're telling people. That salvation, while a free and amazing and beautiful gift by the very work of Jesus, by his shed blood and his death and resurrection, it comes with a cost. It will cost you everything that this world values. And it will cost you humility. It will cost you to give up your pride. It will cost you your sins to walk in holiness. It will cost you the ability to be the most important thing in the world. Because Christ becomes the most important thing. And you become a humble servant. It costs you your reputation. You'll never be loved by the world no matter how hard you try. So stop trying to be like it. It has nothing to offer you, but it has everything to take from you. So when we share that gospel, let's share the cost. And by the way, you can't scare people away from Christ. They're already on a full tilt run the other direction. You preach the gospel of God, the full counsel of God. And God will save whom he will save. And I'm sorry if that angers you because how dare you. You're just being a Calvinist. I'm just preaching what the gospel preaches. All those who come to Christ are the ones that the Father draws first. He will do the work of salvation and Christ by no means will let them go. So if Christ himself said following him costs, then let us preach that it costs. And let us preach that you lose all that the world finds valuable. You give it all up for the imperishable, perfect, beautiful, spotless Lamb of God. For a salvation that can never be lost. For a joy that can never be stolen. All that cost for something far more grand. Let us preach that gospel. We appreciate your time being with us this week. Thank you so much. We look forward to spending time with you next time. Happy Easter. Go praise Christ for his death, burial, and resurrection. And preach the gospel to somebody who needs to hear it today. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.